Christ, Lord, in our life, Lord, in our church. Jesus, you've given us um, authority, Lord, you've given us the gifts, God, to represent you in your fullness uh, in the city. Lord, and I pray, God, you give us some revelation this morning um, on what exactly that means and what that looks like. So, Father, we, we honor you, Lord, and we thank you um, for all that you've done. And in Jesus' name, we pray and believe these things. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys, can you see it? And Rick Richter will be up there in a second. Father, we send them, and that, Father, we cover them, 
And that, Father, when they return, Lord, they'll have uh, stories. And, Father, I just know that vermilion is going to work its way into our vocabulary more and more. So, Lord, we honor you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, guys, joining in on that. And we are, we're excited to make the nine-and-a-half, ten-ish hour drive this afternoon. It's really good. Um, in flicker. But today we're continuing the book of Ephesians. I mean, we'll be doing verse 11 this morning, and the title of the sermon is Not a Fraction, But the Fullness. And before we jump into this scripture specifically, just want to put the importance not on Ephesians 4 11 through 16, because we talk about it a lot, but we talk about it a lot because it's important. And it's really the unfolding of what's happened so far in the first three chapters. Of Ephesians, and now this is the practical application how we actually accomplish what we've talked about so far um, as a church. So I just want to run us back through how in chapter one we talked about the church is called out, that before the foundation of the world, Christ called out the church that we would um, be in him and have this special calling in him. And in chapter two, we talked about how the church is family, that by the blood of Christ, these two um, Gentiles of Jesus have been brought near to one man, and that we are family. In chapter 3, we talk about the mystery, that now that the, all this, from the prophets all the way up to Christ, there's been this revealing of bits and pieces of the whole picture. But now, the whole picture has been revealed um, through the church. And now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known, not just to the world, but it says even to the angels. That, that we would teach things to the angels that they could never know by sitting in the presence of God by what he accomplishes through the church. And then we get to chapter 4, and he says... Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. And this calling has been laid out from chapter 1 of being called out, chapter 2 of being family, and chapter 3 of the mystery that the church is. Now, as we get to chapter 4, verse 11 through 16, we talk about being a team. And being a team is how the practical application is laid out for us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which we are called. So this morning, we are going to focus on verse 11, but I just want to read 11 through 16 kind of get the grasp of the model that we'll be looking at. So, um, in verse 11 we see, he says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craft, craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of which the, of each individual part causes the growth of the body and the building up of itself in love. When we read that scripture, especially these last three verses, there's nobody that doesn't want to be in that church. There's nobody that doesn't really want to experience this, especially when we look at these aspects of um, coming into all aspects of him, not just part, but being able to come into the fullness of who Christ really is. Amen. But when we look at verse 14 and 15 and 16, how encouraging and hopeful this is, we can't get there without first starting in verse 11. We need all the parts. And that's what comes back to our title. Back up real quick. Not a fraction, but the fullness. 
See, Jesus says here in verse in chapter 4 that he has given gifts to men. He's given gifts to men because through these gifts and through the body is how we accomplish this calling in which he has called us to. And that the five-fold ministry that we're going to talk about today in verse 11 really represents the full character of Christ. That it isn't about one specific gift or one specific interest that we have, but it's about the fullness of what Christ is doing. I want you guys to think about this for a second from the aspect of a car. If you guys had a new car, maybe you got a brand new engine in it that's custom made. You got some new tires. Kayla needs a car. We're going to buy her a car, a brand new car. And if you ask, is Kayla's going through a car trouble? What's your favorite part of your car? And say you said, man, my favorite part of the car is this engine and these brand new tires I got. So we said, man, that's awesome. So the next day, you got up, you walked into your garage, and the only thing in your garage was the engine and the tires. You'd be pretty disappointed, right? The only part of the car you had was the favorite part. Was your favorite parts because those two parts by themselves don't do you any good. There's no function to your car with just an engine and just tires. Well, the thing we're really going to hit on today and look at is do we really embrace the fullness of the character of Christ? Because if we just take the bits and pieces that we like the best and we put those together and that's how we try to live our Christian life, I'm going to argue that really that's like trying to drive your car with just the engine and the wheels. It's not going to get very far. Or even you look at a car and say you got all the pieces but you didn't have your brakes. You know, you can drive at your own risk and the risk of everybody else because you're probably going to hurt yourself and you're probably going to hurt other people in the same way without the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. Not only do we hurt ourselves, but in the long run we hurt other people because we're giving them a mixture of ourselves, we're giving them a mixture of Christ, and they never get to experience the fullness of who he is because we cling to um, our favorite parts or the, or the parts that make us feel the best or maybe even the parts that um, we are the most gifted in. I know if you've ever seen this, but you have a church who maybe they are the, you can kind of fill in the blank church. That they're the um, outreach church or they're the um, preaching church or they're the teaching church or there's a specific area they really focus on and we really don't become the body in that way because everybody that comes there is kind of, everybody's a hand because everybody's getting this one thing and they get drawn towards a specific leader or a specific event or a specific ministry. And in that, when we never get that full picture of what Christ is doing just in the same way that car with just the engine or just the tires. That's not, that's not what a car is. It's a piece of the car, and it's a great piece. But without the other pieces, it's very, very limited. And see, without the fullness of Christ, really what happens is verse 14, it says, because of what happens in verse 11 and 13, that we're not children tossed to and fro. But without the fullness of Christ, we are children who will be tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. And when you look around Fort Collins, I wonder how many denominations there are in Fort Collins. There's been so much division, so much argumentation on specific parts of the word, and I really believe it's a part, or it's, it's due to this lack of the completeness of Christ and what we do and who we are as a church. And I was really praying this week, I was actually, me and Jim talked about this a little bit on Friday, but I was really praying why is the fullness of Christ seem to be missed so much in the church? Or even this structure, I mean, before, you know, I even um, got to Jesus, I'd read it, read it in the Bible, but I had never heard anybody talk about an apostle, I never heard anybody talk about a prophet, or really even an evangelist in the church, just maybe Billy Graham on TV or whoever it was, and I was really wondering why is this that we don't hear this vocab, we don't hear on the fullness of Christ very often. And the thing the Lord really challenged me with, that he's been challenging me with lately, is how much do I really want to be like Christ? 
not just the bits and pieces, but like Christ as a whole. We look at who Jesus was, that he spent 40 days um, in the wilderness with the devil without eating or drinking. Who wants to do that part? Or who wants to have you know, your best friend like Jesus had betray him or your family think you're crazy? There was a million things that Christ went through that Paul talks about of knowing the sufferings of Christ. And this aspect that Jesus is really showing me, is it possible that we miss the fullness of Christ oftentimes in leadership and within the fivefold, partially because there's not this deep desire in us to really be the fullness of Christ. We really want to be like him and his fullness exactly how he is. Because it will cost us everything to be like Christ, and that's what he's been showing me. To really be like him, that means um, to deny myself, that means to, to be humble, that means to serve, that means to do things that... I don't really want to do or enjoy um, doing. But in losing everything, we really gain everything. And that's Luke 9.24, that whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for Christ's sake will find it. And in praying about that and looking at that question this week, one thing that I was really brought to thankfulness for was his fullness, his fullness and his obedience, not only on the earth but now. That Jesus' fullness to hear our prayers, Jesus' fullness in his obedience to forgive us our sins in repentance. That Jesus' fullness to be faithful even when we are faithless. And so the question I have kind of for us as we dive into Ephesians 4.11 today is do we really desire to be the fullness of who Christ is? Not only individually but corporately. Because the only way we can do that is in these scriptures. And I think sometimes, even with the Genesis, we talk about some of this stuff so much. But do we really believe in the depths of our heart this is necessary? Do we believe that this is a good idea and maybe we can kind of do it this way, but if it doesn't work, we can kind of do this other stuff that we've seen in the past? Or do we believe this is really God's model and his commandment for his church to enact his will that we've seen in the first three chapters of Ephesians? So, long intro, but just want to hit hard at the beginning here of how important really this scripture is and how it's just a bookend to what we've talked about the whole time. It's not a, a set of scripture that we just set in there. But without this, we can't walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Without this, we can't make the mystery of God known for the church. We won't be a family and we won't live up to this calling that we've been called out for. And just that we would take this scripture, I don't know how we'll break it down for sure, but I'm sure it'll be a while that we'll spend in 4, 11 through 16, that we would take this time seriously and really take these scriptures to heart, not just what they mean in the academic sense, but how we live these out practically um, throughout the week in our lives. So, we're getting to Ephesians 4, 11 now. It says, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. And the question is, who are these guys? And we see in verse 12, these guys are, are men who have been gifted for the equipping of the saints. And in 2 Corinthians 10, 8, it says, for, if even, for even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed. See, in 2 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with these guys who are really challenging his authority and challenging if he was an apostle at all. And Paul's comment back to them is, you know, we can boast of this authority that God's given us, but he hasn't given us this authority for your destruction, but for your edification. He, he said, why are you fighting us when we, all we're trying to do is equip you? We're not here for any other reason. God has given us this authority for your equipping, not for your destruction. But yet these people were resisting them. And really when you read the entirety of 2 Corinthians, it was coming out not just the church was resisting Paul, but really it was revealing their heart that they were resisting the Lord. That because they were resisting this character of Christ that Paul was displaying in 1 Corinthians saying, you know, he was even delivering people to Satan. He was exuding this authority, but the whole purpose was for their edification, was for their equipping. 
In 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4, we see that um, these guys, that, it says, the shepherd the flock of God, which is, the, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And again, these guys aren't people who are celebrities. They're not people who can just slap their, you know, word apostle on their, um, on their mirror and have people come and, you know, fall down on their feet and tell them how great they are. These guys are supposed to be examples in serving people in the same way that Christ served, up, served us. If this calling of, of the fivefold ministry, whether apostle or prophet, a, a pastor, teacher, or evangelist, or men that God has called to exude his character, not only in equipping, but being an example in the same way that Christ was an example for us, and serving and lowering themselves underneath the flock to equip them. Finally, in Colossians 1, 27-29, this is my uh, favorite example. It says, To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. This end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. In this scripture, what's really interesting is Paul is just saying, what is the end that he labors towards in verse 29? Is to present every man perfect in Christ. That Paul was living his whole life for the purpose of equipping these saints. But why? Because Paul knew, again, the big picture. We just talked about chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3. That for the church to really make the manifold wisdom of God known. For the church to be fitted together in every part to work effectively. Paul knew that, that people needed to be equipped. People needed to be um, presented before Christ complete. And that was Paul's mission along for all those who were gifted in the early church in this fivefold ministry was for this purpose of equip equipping the saints. And not just for that purpose alone, but to fit into what God is doing through his church to make the manifold wisdom of God known. So in a general sense, these five gifts are equippers that God has given to represent his character to the church. So that the church can represent the fullness of who Christ is. So when we look at these five fold offices. We got the evangelists, when we're talking about the gathered, pastors guard, teachers ground, prophets guide, and apostles govern. We're gonna break these down one by one shortly. And, and this is you know scripture the uh, leadership's been going through for a couple months now, and and Jim and I were talking a little bit this week. You've kind of you could break down the scripture and look at examples and and go in the Old Testament for months. And so we're going to hit just on briefly a couple scriptures for each one of these offices so we can at least get a general sense um, who these guys are and that we can ask questions and get with leadership and, and search the word for ourselves of what these gifts really do. So first, the evangelists, they gather. And with these guys, you know, they have one foot in the church, one foot out. They are spending their time equipping the saints, but they're also in the community gathering people and have really have an anointing to share the gospel. And the first scripture we're going to look at is Luke 19.10. says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Part of the character of Christ is a desire and a brokenness for the lost. And that's something that should be in every single believer. Not just the evangelist, but every believer should have a heart in the same way God does to reach out to our community, to reach out to our neighbors, whatever it is, because of the broken heart we have. The whole reason is right now to say Jesus came was to seek and to save the lost. And is that the same heart that we possess, that Christ possessed for the lost? In Matthew 4, 19, it says, Jesus, then he said to them all, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
See, not only was Jesus going to get the lost, but once people came in, and he was making them fishers of men, too. That Jesus represents in his character um, the evangelist in this sense that not only did he go and get the lost, but he also was equipping these men to go and find them, find the lost for themselves. And I don't know if you guys have ever, ever um, done this, but you're kind of consistently reaching out to someone over and over and over. And if they have not come into the church, not just in the physical building, but been saved and regenerated, it's pretty hard to say, try to disciple that person. Because you're not on the same level. They are not surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. And the evangelist is so important because they're going to get people out of the world and in that regeneration of their heart, now their heart is, is soft to actually receive the discipleship, receive the equipping that's happening in the church. But unless there's that fresh water of people coming in and people being equipped, oftentimes discipleship and those things become stagnant. But the evangelist has been called together and get people out of the world in, in this sense, really exemplifies the character of Christ and his heart um, for the lost. So next we want to look at the pastors. Pastors guard. And this is one of my favorite. I'm just learning some analogies from, from Rick and just from studying on, on my own as well. But um, I was learning that pastors or shepherds back in the day when they literally had a flock of sheep, that they would have ointment they would have to rub on their face. And basically, I don't know if you've ever been around sheep, but all sheep look the same. Like, you're not going to tell Jimmy and Joe or Bill because you're just looking at them. But what's really cool about these shepherds is they spent so much time every day rubbing the um, sheep's face that they would get to the bone of these sheep. And by their bone structure and how they felt, they could tell the difference between their flock. And in Proverbs, it says, um, know well the condition of their flock. And the pastor's job isn't just to counsel. Or sometimes I think we think of pastors, the happy-go-lucky guy that like kind of just pass it over back. But the pastor's real job is to get past the flock. You have to get past the superficial and actually get down to the bone of what is actually going on in people's lives. And the second um, example of this is, you know, shepherds would walk in a pasture in the middle of all their sheep. They'd kind of be in a circle and they'd walk with them. And the sheep could kind of start to wander off a little bit. And, you know, they have the hook on their staff and the bottom of it had, you know, a heavy more uh, like rock or something. And so when the sheep would start to wander off, the shepherd would hook the sheep, bring them back in, hook the sheep, bring them back in. But if the sheep did it more than like two or three times, again, I don't know if you've been around sheep, but they're super stubborn. They've learned a habit already, if it's already been three or four times. And so that habit's not going to get broke by you just guiding back in. So what the shepherd would do is they'd turn around the staff, they'd break the leg of the lamb or, or the sheep, whatever it was. They'd put the lamb over their shoulders and hold that um, leg straight. And so the um, bone would begin to heal, and then they would go at the end of the day, lay them down, and allow that healing process to start. But then when that sheep... Um, foot or leg healed, the next time they started to wander, they guided them in. They didn't do it this third or fourth time because they knew what it was like to have their leg broken. In the same way that pastors aren't just here to, to counsel us or to make us feel good, but really are often the people who are going to lead us to repentance, people who are going to be in, in the lives and know the details of our lives to actually hold us accountable to what's going on on a day-to-day -day basis. We see this in First and Second Timothy, Paul's writing to a pastor, someone Timothy is leading the church at Ephesus, and he says, those who are sitting rebuke in the presence of all, the rest also may fear. Sounds kind of harsh, sounds kind of scary, but that's what the pastor's meant to do, is to know what's going on in the church's life so that we don't um, have a, you know, in First Corinthians it says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And the pastor, by actually knowing the sheep, keeps that from happening within the church. Second Timothy 4.2 says, preach the word. 
be ready in season and out of season to convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. The last little story about pastors I think is cool is that in the midst of being with the sheep, in the midst of knowing the sheep and getting past the fluff, all this stuff they're doing, they are taking care of the sheep, they're guarding them from wolves, but also, you're around sheep all day, you might get some sheep poop on you. You actually get in the midst of the problems, you get that stuff all over you. But the thing about pastors, they love that. They love people's problems, they love being in the lives of people, they love getting the people poop, sheep poop, um, on them. Um, because that's what God's called to do. And, and they demonstrate that heart of Christ. That Jesus, you know, he knows us so deeply, but yet he still loves us. And the pastor demonstrates that heart, even though they kind of know the worst parts about us, but they know us, and they love us, and they, they, they're able to equip us in this aspect of repentance, in this aspect of discipleship, to really know the heart of God, not only in his correction, his rebuke of us, but also his long-suffering, his kindness that he displays to the church. Teachers, teachers ground, and I think teachers get miscommunicated a lot of people who just know a bunch of stuff, they know a bunch of history, or they have a lot of academia and can just dispense a lot of information at us. The teachers aren't meant for just a bunch of information, but teachers are really meant for the biblical literacy of the church to know the deep things of God, and not just to know the what behind things, but to know the why, not just what God said, but why he said it really God's heart behind the word. And we see the benefit or the um, repercussions of this in Hebrews. <clears throat> he says, for, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You have come to be milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. By the word of God being in us, one thing that will happen is we'll be able to exercise and discern both good and evil. Things get confusing. In Proverbs it says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. That there's things that may seem right to us or we may get a good idea about. What does the word of God say about these things? And the teacher um, has, his work, has his job of grounding people, giving them a foundation, giving them substance, giving them content to our lives. And Psalm 119, just a good scripture a lot of you should know, says, your word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. That the teacher is not just an information dispenser and is not just John MacArthur that we can find on the internet, but there's someone who's in the local church who, again, knows us. That they, It's not like they're just um, dispersed from our relationships and those kind of things, but somebody who knows us who can add biblical literacy and a biblical lens to the way we live our lives. And, and really, Jesus did this perfectly in the way he did the parables, that he displayed um, teaching and, and, and what the kingdom of God was. He didn't just tell people information. The Jews at that time, they had all the information they needed. They, they, they had the four, you know, first um, books of the Bible memorized. They had all the intellect that you could ever need. But what they didn't understand was the kingdom of God. They didn't understand the heart of God behind his laws and what he had um, for them. The same way the teacher is providing us an anchor to the heart of God um, by his word and how we can test all things. So those three, the pastor, the teacher, and the evangelist, are, are um, gifts who are supposed to be the local church. They're to a local body where the prophet and the, and the apostle are translocal, where they may not be in a, in a specific church, but they have um, been given maybe a network of churches or multiple churches um, to invest in. And when you look at prophets, the main thing they do is guide and they align us with the heart of God. 
And 1 Corinthians 14, when you guys have time, would be a great chapter to read um, about prophecy as a whole. But just three quick scriptures out of that chapter I wanted to highlight. It says, um, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak with tongues. I wish Bill was here, but the thing Bill always says is, everyone is a prophetic person. He says everybody is a prophetic person. And this, I think, backs up what Bill is saying is, Paul is saying, I desire that everyone should prophesy. That it wasn't something that just for the prophet, but the prophet's role is not only to guide the church and hear from the Lord, but the prophet's um, role is also to equip the body for a prophetic culture. And what does prophecy do? It says it speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Why does it do this? It's because it's bringing us back to our alignment with God and really speaking the identity of what Christ has done in us. That prophecy brings identity and brings alignment back to us with the Lord. And the thing, you know, Jerry, if you spent time with him, he's on this one, that we've got to know who we are in Christ. And that's one thing the prophet does um, in a prophetic culture is we start to see who we are in Christ, not just because of what we've told it, because we believe it in our heart, and that our um, spirit bears witness with his spirit that we are sons of God. And the importance of this is found in 1 Timothy 1.18. He says, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to prophecies previously made concerning you, by by them you may wage the good warfare. That the well, great benefit of prophecy and the great benefit of clinging on to prophecy and, and having a prophetic culture is it's something we can wage warfare according to. That knowing the promises of God and clinging on to these things, it gets our eyes off of our circumstances and back on to the promise. So the main thing that the prophet is doing through these things of hearing from the Lord and guiding the church corporately, but also individually, we need this guidance as well to know what Christ has put in us and to have this alignment with his heart. So finally, we have the apostles. And this word, especially in today's culture, some people can get a little bit um, heebie-jeebies about or whatever it is, but we go back to the original word of, of this apostolos was a Roman word. And when Rome would conquer a new place, they went into a new territory, they would send an apostle or apostolos to this area, and that person's job would be um, to establish the government of um, Rome in that area. So they didn't know Rome's laws, they didn't know how the community of Rome worked, they didn't know what, how those things operated. But these apostles from Rome would come into this place and establish how Rome would function. And by the time they left, that city should be able to function on its own without that said person. In the same way that Jesus, he sent out the apostles um, at the end of his ministry, why to establish the government of God and the kingdom of God in certain areas. And just like the apostles of Rome were sent out, they carried the authority of Rome. That the apostles that was, were sent out would also carry the very authority of Christ into that territory that Jesus would send them. So this word apostle isn't just somebody who can like raise somebody from the dead. This, this word apostle is something that Jesus has given to the church for the government of God and for the authority that's required for the church to really grow and to expand. The apostles very um, engaged on the front end of work. And so laying the foundation of going into a city that maybe has nothing there yet, but, but that's where they go to um, plant the church. And a great example of this is Acts 14, 21 through 23. It says this. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, and made many disciples, they returned to Listeria, Ichneum, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. 
So when they appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So we see what did Paul do when he came into the city? He preached the gospel, people got saved. As people got saved, he made disciples. As disciples were made, down in verse 23, he appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, and they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That these places that Paul went into were able to be self-sufficient when he left. That he was able to raise up people and then still provide the governing um, and, and for, for the future. And obviously, the epistles came back to these places. But he equipped these people to be able to have leadership and run really just as well with or without him. Again, we see this aspect with Jesus when he says this to the apostles. He says, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That as Jesus sent these guys out, he sent them out with authority. And that's the same thing that, that the role of the apostle isn't only to raise people up, but also is the gift to be able to send people out. To be able to raise people up and send them out with the same authority to, to go to the next province. Just like Rome did, they sent them out to the next province. As the church would expand, the apostles would send out um, these, these workers to the next um, region. So, we come to the summary evangelists gathering and they're getting people out of the world, pastors guarding of, of this in our everyday life, and teachers grounding, pop, prophets guiding, and apostles governing. But the question I have for us today is, I know it's a lot of academic information, what is this, what is that, you know, how do these work together, but we really look at the heart of God in these areas, and is this something that we really desire to have the fullness of Christ in us? That when we look at this first one, we really want a heart that's broken for the lost. And when you see Paul in Romans um, 9 says that he wished he could be accursed for his brothers. He said, I, I wish I could be cut off from Christ so that some more could be saved. Is that something that's in our heart? And if it's not, is it something we really desire to be in our heart? Because that is the character of Christ. And it's really easy to say, well, my role is an evangelist, so I'll just go do this other job over here. Well, it may not be to be an evangelist, but your role as a believer in Christ is to have a heart that's broken those who are lost in this city. Second thing, we look at pastors. And honestly, do we want somebody who knows us that good? Do we want somebody that knows us past the fluff, that gets down to the bones of who we are, that can hold us accountable? Not just for something they think we did, but something they know we did because they know us. And something, um, and, and, and truly that parental or shepherding figure in our life, is that something that we want? Do we want somebody who can lead us to repentance um, within the church? For the thing of, of the teacher, of God's heart, not just to know what, but to know why. And again, this takes more than just studying things academically, but really to be in that secret place and for the Holy Spirit to teach us and convict us of the whole counsel of God. Again, there's things that really encourage us in the Word, and there's things that maybe trouble us in the Word. They bring the fear of God on us in the Word. We desire to know the whole counsel. Finally, our end with the prophet. Um, you see John the Baptist, man, he says to the... Um, Pharisees, when they're coming, he says, you know, who will you from the wrath to come? You know, um, Bill was here, man, I guess that was about eight, nine months ago, but gave us a word that, that we had read the Holy Spirit. You know, do we want somebody who can be here that actually hears God and can speak into our lives? Do we want that challenge from someone who is gifted prophetically that doesn't lace it up and in a nice um, form but actually gives us to it, gives us the straightforward and finally, do we want an apostle? Do we want that character of Christ in our lives? Man, somebody that's going to hold us to a standard. 
Paul, a lot of people didn't like Paul. I mean, that's why he even wrote 2 Corinthians. They didn't want Paul around. Even though this guy had come and he raised that church up from the ground up and invested in these people with his whole life, it came to a point where he started to hold them accountable and they didn't want him around because they, they thought that he was too hard or his leadership um, was too abrasive. But when we look at these, I don't want to just point out the bad things. You know, we pointed out the good things of these gifts, but it comes with both hands. And a lot of times I believe there's so much church hopping, there's so much denominations, because people run into one of these, it just rubs them wrong, and they don't want to be around it. And as the church, some of these rub us wrong, and we don't even want it in our church. But the truth is, if we ever actually want to change the city of Fort Collins, I believe that this five-fold ministry is absolutely necessary. I don't believe there's any other gifts or any other way that God's called us to do this, but this is it. I'm not saying they're it, he's it, and he is displaying himself through them. And that's the, that's the purpose. It's not to elevate these people, but he says straight in his word that he gave gifts. Why did he give the gifts? To equip the saints. Why? So we could come to the fullness of Christ. We can't do that without the, the person of Christ being displayed through these individual gifts. And I pray that something that we will really consider as a group is, is there pieces in this that rub us wrong? Because if there is, that's going to pop eventually. And your love isn't against the person. It's honestly against the Lord. Because it's that character of Christ that's getting displayed through that person that we don't like. And see, the body of Christ is not just the fivefold, but it's also the body. Are, are, there, are there other gifts in the word that rub you wrong? It's not that those gifts or that person rubs you wrong. There's a great chance it's the Lord's gift and the Lord's character that is convicting us, and we don't want that um, in our life. I want to finish <clears throat> with this, and we can start to um, bring the worship crew up and get ready for the offering. Revelation 3, 18 through 19. He's talking to the church at Laodicea. He says, I cancel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white, gar and white garments that you may be clothed. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eyesalve that you may see. What's really interesting about this, this scripture, and I know we're starting to move around, but I hope you guys really catch this piece, is Laodicea, their main industry at the time was uh, making ice out. That was like their main industry. So if you think of like um, Detroit with the automobile business, whatever it is, when you think of a city that's known for something, Laodicea was known for making ice out. That was their main business. And it's really interesting that Jesus is telling them, you need ice out when ice out is the thing they had abundance of. And I think many of us this morning, we have heard maybe the scripture, we've been challenged with some of this stuff. And there's, no, there's never been a time in the United States history or the world history where people have been more learned or taught in Christianity. But I really believe the thing that God is challenging us with is just like Laodicea, they had the ISIL, but they needed his ISIL. We have knowledge, but we need his knowledge. We have our ways, but we really need his ways. And I pray that, that us as a church would really look at this scripture and really look mainly at the character of Christ. And what is it that God's asking us to, to deepen our relationship with him and really invite him to challenge in our hearts personally? So we can bring up um, the offering. Father God, Lord, we thank you for all that you do. Lord, you are our provider. Lord, you are, um, God, God you, you, you have given us everything, Lord, we had nothing to give you, Lord. And so we pray, God, that we would trust you um, with our finances, Father, here. Be this, God, that we would steward well um, what is brought in, Father, that uh, we would all, God, um, in the way that we are led by your Spirit, give room, Lord, not out of obligation or because we can.
feel like we have to, Lord, because um, of wanting to give back to you what you've so freely given us. Lord, so I just thank you for this morning. Jesus, pray that you'll bless this offering. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. So if anybody has a word as we're closing the worship, please um, come up and share that. 